From Morris Heights to Manhattan Valley, from Tote Hill to Floral Park, and right here in the borough of Brooklyn, it's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across New York State, so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, good to see you. How you doing? You as well, Ben. Very well. Yourself? Uh, I'm good. I'm uh, finally feeling healthy again after sort of weeks of either severe illness or my illness. So Eggnog will a, do that to that's you. A good, it's, a, it's, it's, a good, it's a good feeling. Um, and uh, I'm sick so rarely it, it was very strange. But, well, um, I think I speak on behalf of all our listening audience. We were all polling for you. Yes. And I'm glad that you made feel it through. It. I could yeah. feel it. It's good news. Um, how are you doing? Good. Good. I'm excited. We have had, I mean, is, since in the week since we last spoke to each other on the air, the L train tunnel has been uh, has been fixed anew or a new plans been put forward. The session uh, in Albany has gotten started. Uh, many other interesting developments on many of the fronts that we've been following. Some we did not expect. Some we did not expect. Certainly, I mean this um, this reversal in the situation with the L train is absolutely fascinating. Governor Cuomo sort of upending years in the making plans that were supposed to get going in earnest in April, or at least the shutdown of the tunnel was supposed to happen in April, and lots of other plans are already being implemented. I mean, they have you know this busway painted on. 14th Street and bike lanes being set up and all these other mitigation uh, strategies being implemented. And all of a sudden now there's questions about what exactly all of it is going to look like. The governor has a new plan that's not even a full plan yet. You know, the, he and some academic experts that he brought in to reevaluate things put forward sort of the sketches of a plan, but it's not a full blueprint, certainly for this major work that needs to be done. Um, and it's a method that apparently has not been used successfully in the U.S. before. Yeah, um, I guess the, the scale. The, right. The combination of the tactics hasn't been used in a tunnel, but they've been used other places. It's certainly there's a lot of questions still unanswered, certainly around that. So that'll be interesting for us to to look at moving forward. I mean, we haven't spent a lot of time on the MTA on the show um, a little bit in the past, but it'd be good to, to dig in there. And there's obviously endless fodder for that kind of conversation. The public advocate race. The special election is hurtling ahead. We had City Councilmember Rafael Espinal on the show last week. This week, we continue our series of having candidates for uh, replacing Tish James as public advocate on the show. Later today, we'll be joined by City Councilmember Eric Ulrich. Uh, and then the mayor's been uh, very busy here this week, and he's going to give his state of the city tomorrow. That's right. The mayor announcing a uh, new plan to cover up to 600,000 people uh, to provide health care to them either by enrolling them in an existing public option health insurance plan or extending help to those who cannot be insured by that plan because they are uh, undocumented immigrants. Uh, and then today talking about a paid uh, paid leave plan. Uh, and interestingly, the L-Train discussion, the developments in Albany around the beginning stages of Democrats having control of both houses and beginning to roll out their agenda, the proposals by the mayor ahead of the state of the city all coming on the local and state level as obviously the federal shutdown plays out. We saw the president and his uh, Democratic 
colleagues, counterparts, opponents, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on TV last night, where today there was a meeting between the parties that did not go well, a total waste of time, according to the president. So you have this interplay between state and local discussions about policy discussions, at least going forward, and government obviously continuing to function, and then this rolling federal shutdown, which every day, the impact of that on both clients to those offices and employees themselves continues to kind of metastasize. It's a good point. And we saw even Senator Schumer, who's obviously as minority leader of the Senate, dealing with sort of the full scale of being part of negotiations. But he's also obviously the senior senator from New York. And he also has put out some interesting information about how the shutdown is or could affect New York State and New York City, and including in that is federal funding that is supposed to go monthly uh, to the MTA, which is not something I really was that familiar with till Schumer was talking about it. So that's something interesting to watch. Certainly the mayor, the governor, and others will have to deal with ramifications of this shutdown if it extends much longer. Um, but I don't necessarily expect that to be a lot of what the mayor will talk about tomorrow during his state of the city. Although, of course, just like Cuomo at the state level, de Blasio at the city level is very likely to talk about, you know, his jurisdiction as this alternative to to the Trump vision uh, and the things that he's doing. He's already been saying this week are sort of uh, part of the the fight against Trumpism and, you know, New York as an alternative to a non-functioning federal government or a government that's looking to do things like roll back health care, as the mayor said, whereas New York City is going to move it forward. Folks should know, of course, that the mayor will speak at 11 a.m. tomorrow for his state of the city if they can catch a live stream. Many people obviously unable to do that because of their jobs. It's not their jobs to watch it like it is for us. <laughs> But folks should know it'll be on at 11 a.m. If you can't catch it, it lives online after. And, of course, many publications will be writing about it, including that of our first guest today. That's right. So we're very pleased to welcome to the air uh, Jill Jorgensen, who is the City Hall Bureau Chief for the New York Daily News. Uh, Jill, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, Jill. Good to talk to you. Um, So we want to talk a little bit about where Mayor de Blasio is at here as 2019 gets going. And obviously, when we uh, booked you to come talk with us, that was before these announcements that he's made this week. And we had a little bit more of a sense of what he's up to. But before we get into any of those specifics, um, how would you sort of capture where the mayor is at as as 2018 now rolls into 2019? Well, you know, I, I think you raised a really good point. I would have given you a completely different answer to this question a week ago than I'm going to give you today. Uh, you know, the, like the mayor is entering this second year of his second term, and the truth is the first year of his second term was kind of sleepy. We didn't see a lot of big new policy proposals from the mayor. You know, maybe the biggest thing on the table was the uh, sort of continuation of uh, pre-K in the form of 3K. And that was also sort of the biggest promise he made in his um, 2017 re-election campaign. Right. He didn't you, know, you didn't see him campaigning on tons of new promises or ideas. It was really a message of we're going to do more of what we've been doing and, and deep in what we've been doing. And so, I, you know, I think that really talk had begun of, of the mayor as a lame duck sort of early on um, in his second term. People were already starting to look at, at 2021, believe it or not, um, the mayor's race. But in the last two days, he's rolled out two really big um, or, you know, depending on how you look at them, uh, two two big policy proposals uh, that have garnered some national attention and it's sort of kind of shaken up the the beat a little bit, I I, I think. I don't know if we want to get into the specifics of those yet, but, um, you know, it it seems like he's kind of 
been uh, refreshed <laughs> in some way after a little bit of a rest last year. Well, Jill, you talk to people in City Hall and around the mayor, and I'm curious, you know, that's an impression that we all have had, right, that it was a sleepy year, even by some accounts a rough year on the NYCHA front and others, the mayor, you know, taking shots and really playing defense because there wasn't much of an offense. That's our impression. Is that something that folks in City Hall acknowledge as being part of what was the recent history as as being a problem? No, I, I think they've pushed back on that narrative a lot. You know, I think they've tried to insist the mayor has been getting a lot done and that he's, you know, been making progress on things like crime or addressing NYCHA. I, I think that's a good point. It ate up a lot of the last year, frankly, and he, he was on defense. I think they've tried to spin it offense, but if you're essentially responding to a federal lawsuit and you're, you know, responding to kind of news story after news story for the entire year, you're, you know, even when you're moving forward, it's it's sort of responsive, right? Um, but I, I think that, you know, people who work for the mayor have, have pushed back against that notion and argued, you know, people like what he's done and that's why they voted for him and it's not unusual that he would just want to continue those policies and deepen them. But I, I do think a lot of you know, pundit types and even reporters who cover elections found it kind of odd in 2017 that there weren't big new policy proposals. The kinds of things that the mayor rolled out this week are the kinds of things that you might expect him to roll out while he was running for re-election. And so talk about those. What did we learn about this week? So on uh, yesterday, uh, they all blur together at some point, (laughs) but uh, yesterday the mayor rolled out um, a plan. uh, He called it NYC Care, and it's sort of a health plan. He kind of talked about it to great fanfare on Morning Joe, so national outlet on on cable uh, yesterday morning, um, and kind of presented it as a universal health care option. That's not exactly what it is. It's it's really sort of making it uh, more seamless. Uh, for undocumented people to access health care in New York City. Now, they've always been able to access health care at New York City public hospitals. This plan is just going to try to set them up with a primary care physician so that they're getting, you know, medical services before they need to go to the emergency room. And then the other half of this plan is expanding an already existing public option in New York called uh, Metro Plus. So... Nonetheless, rolling that out nationally before lots of local reporters got to really dig in and understand the nuances, he got lots of big press yesterday um, regarding his new health care guarantee. And then today uh, he broke in the Washington Post of all newspapers uh, that he was going to support uh, legislation that would require employers in New York City, private employers, to uh, give their employees 10 uh, paid vacation days. And so, you know, two days in a row, we've seen these sort of big, uh, splashy headlines for the mayor in out-of-town papers. Uh, Normally, leading up to the state of the city, the mayor's office will often give out uh, or sort of drip out some of what he'll... uh, proposed in stories to local uh, newspapers that didn't happen this time around. Right. And so what do you what do you attribute that to? I mean, obviously, you know, sort of the easy, obvious answer is he's always has been interested since basically day one of his mayoralty to in interested in building his national profile. Is it as simple as that? Um, how else should we be thinking about this? I mean, I, I'm often sort of a mixed mind about, you know, the travel is one thing, but getting national attention for policies um you know, that New York is doing that should be national progressive models. You know, I don't know that there's that's as sort of questionable a, a, 
a tactic as running around the country instead of paying close attention to what's going on at home. Well, never fear, Ben, because the mayor said today that he would be running around the country. Yes, he to, did. He uh, did. <laughs> to spread the gospel, as he put it, of what he's doing here. Um, look, I mean, every time this happens, it obviously raises some questions about whether or not the mayor might be considering a presidential run. He said he's focused on being mayor. He intends to remain mayor. You know, we'll see. Um, I, I think... I, I think he sort of got right at it. I think the mayor really is a, a policy and politics wonk, and I think he thinks that he has something to contribute to a national conversation. Now, whether that's through running for office or just by sort of going out and pushing for his policy proposals and trying to get other candidates for president or other levels of office to get on board, you know, we'll see. We'll see over the next few years. I I tend to think it's unlikely that the mayor will run for president, but, you know, I mean... The rollouts of the last week, I'm sure, will have some people sort of wondering what his intentions are. We're speaking with uh, Jill Jorgensen from The Daily News. If you want to ask a question of our guest, the number here is 212-209-2877. And talking about the health care proposal, you know, at the press conference yesterday, obviously officials from the Health and Hospitals Corporation, which will be the source for where this new care will come from, spoke. And it's interesting. We spoke a lot in the last few years about NYCHA, but another public system that kind of hit a big crisis under de Blasio uh, was Health and Hospitals partly because of the Affordable Care Act and the way that changed hospital finance. The mayor had to inject a lot of money kind of to keep it afloat. It still plans to inject a lot of money the city does over over the next few years. What was your impression in terms of the answer the city gave about the capacity of that system to handle the new customers that might be coming through the door if this plan reaches the 600,000 folks the mayor, the mayor spoke about? I have to say, I and a lot of the other reporters in the room were shocked yesterday to hear sort of a lot of good news coming out of health and hospitals um, in a very short period of time. Uh, you know, the mayor alluded to the fact that that the uh, Health and Hospitals Corporation all of a sudden is in a much better um, situation in terms of cash flow. The wait times have dropped dramatically from about uh, three months to see a primary care physician earlier this year to one to two weeks. It seems like there's a, a real story brewing at Health and Hospitals of, of kind of a turnaround. Um, you know, and if what everybody was saying yesterday is true, it sounds like Health and Hospitals will at some point be prepared to care for all of those people, right? There was talk about, you know, needing to sort of staff up, that they've hired many primary care physicians in the last six months or so to begin with, and that's part of what's brought the wait time down, and I think we'd probably expect to see more of that. The discussion also kind of, you know, the the theory here is that fewer people will need emergency room care, so I, I suspect that we might see a shift in where some doctors would be employed, right, going from the emergency room right. to other kinds of services. Um, but I will say it was one of those things that made you wonder why they hadn't held a press conference about, like, this staggering turnaround in um, in the, you know, the, the fortunes of the Health and Hospitals Corporation. It was a huge change, and it seemed like the kind of story that would be really interesting to a healthcare reporter or somebody who knows, you know, the ins and outs of how these systems work. Obviously, Health and Hospitals has a, a relatively new leader in Dr. Mitchell Cass, who's led public health systems elsewhere, uh, mainly in California before, so someone coming in with a lot of experience. But, um, you know, that's not a story you hear all that often, particularly in such a short period of time. The, the infusion of cash from the city, I'm sure, did not hurt, right, in getting them back on right. their feet. But um, it's still a pretty big swing uh, <laughs> in a short period 
period of time. Right. I was I was going to go elsewhere, but you hit on a you know another important theme that I think we've discussed before, and obviously um, you know has come up over the mayor's term, which is that he's not always very good at capitalizing on the successes that he's having, and you know that was part of even the sleepiness, as you said, of last year, which is, okay, if you're not rolling out a lot of big news, splashy things, well, at least show that you're really involved in the things that you are continuing to roll out and implement and try to highlight some of the ways that they're impacting New Yorkers and, you know, get out and about in the city more and really, you know, show that you're managing the city and that your programs are being implemented. And he just doesn't do a lot of that, generally speaking, um, you know, which leaves you sort of scratching your head if you're not, you know, rolling out new things and you're not really seeming that invested in the things you've got going, you know, what are you really uh, focused on? Um, But I was going to say on the healthcare front, um, my general sense, and tell me what yours is, is is overall that this, this new plan that he rolled out is, you know, as you said, uh, sort of not quite as sweeping as he maybe made it seem on Morning Joe, um, but also pretty significant if they can implement it in a way that does get either or both more people signed up for Metro Plus and people who aren't eligible or still won't even uh, lock into Metro Plus, getting them this card that he says is going to be available and linked up with a primary care physician, if he if they are successful in sort of a critical mass of numbers on both ends, it's a significant change. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's an open question, though, as to like how they're intending to get people to sign up for Metro Plus, right? Metro Plus has been out there for a while. For listeners who may not know, it's a public option, um, low-cost or sometimes no-cost health insurance plan. And, you know, the mayor talked a lot yesterday about um, young invincibles, people who are young in their 20s, early 30s, think they don't need health insurance. Um, And he was saying, you know, we want to get these people signed up for Metro Plus. We want to get them, um, you know, we want to get them covered. And, you know, they've been able to sign up for Metro Plus on the exchange for quite some time. And they've chosen not to. And I, I, you know, I asked yesterday, what are you going to do to make this more appealing all of a sudden? And the mayor sort of went on and said, oh, you know, it's going to be much more streamlined. It's going to be more user friendly. It's going to be, uh, you know, there's some young people who don't want to give money to big corporations uh, for health insurance, but maybe they'll want to do it for a public program. You know, I'm a little, I I think it remains to be seen what exactly they're going to do to actually expand Metro Plus. It's not like they haven't thought of that before, right? To get more people on on the insurance line, because by the way, that seriously helps um, the Health and Hospitals Corporation, because then they're serving more patients with insurance, which means they're getting some level of reimbursement from somewhere. Um, You know, and I think the Health and Hospitals Network is already serving lots of undocumented people. I do think it would probably serve them in a much better way for both those people and for the healthcare system if they can actually connect them with primary care. Uh, You know, what remains to be seen there is how well the city will be able to reach out to those people and sort of get them signed up in a card before they are seriously ill, right? Right, and we should mention this is, uh, you know, uh, has a significant lift to it and is a multi-year build-out. Right. Right. So before the, I think, generally positive, certainly big headlines around the health care plan and now this paid leave plan today, the mayor was dealing with uh, more skeptical uh, headlines about the FAIR FAIRS program and the rollout there. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and sort of uh, what the explanation was for the the way that that, uh, that that program was rolled out? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, last week was very different than this week. <laughs> you know, last week the mayor rolled out Fair Fares, which is a discount Metro card program, so you get a half-price Metro card that would be available um, to low-income New Yorkers, New Yorkers at or below the poverty line, federal poverty level. Um, and, you know, the mayor promised to do this back in June as part of the budget agreement. It was a big priority of Council Speaker Corey Johnson, and before that it had been pushed for very hard by a number of advocates. Um, and... You know, the mayor said in June, well, look, we're taking six months to do this uh, because it's going to take time to figure it all out. We'll have to set up the eligibility requirements. We'll have to, you know, no one's ever done this before. And then come December, all the advocates notice, like, hey, we haven't heard anything about fair fares. There hasn't been any outreach. There's no ads. There the way that there were for, you know, sign up for pre-K. It's coming next year. And um, sure enough, January 1, 2, 3 comes comes around and there's no program. Now, the mayor rolled that out um, last Friday, not that many days late. But nonetheless, what he rolled out is not really the complete fair fares that all of the advocates were looking for, right? It's going to start on a pretty small scale um, at first. It's going to be 30,000 New Yorkers who are already receiving benefits um, through the city's social service uh, administration. Then it'll expand to another, I believe, 130,000. That's not until April. And there's no timeline for when it would get to all 800,000 New Yorkers who uh, it's estimated are at or below the poverty level. So that's led to some, you know, dissatisfaction from advocates who have said, why did this take so long, especially if you're only going to give it to people already getting city benefits? And we knew who they were, 66 months ago. Um, the city's already verified their income, already knows that they're eligible and is in contact with them. Um, the mayor was pretty defensive about that last week. Um, and, and dismissive, I, think that there I would is, say. Yes, he was dismissive of his critics. And I, and I think there was also an element of like the mayor being unhappy continually that he is paying for this program. The mayor always said he supported the program, but he thought the state should pay for it. By June, he had come around to saying, okay, we'll pay $106 million as a uh, as a pilot for the first half of, uh, for the second half of this fiscal year, which is the first half of the calendar year. Um, you know, and I, I think he still maybe thinks that the state should be paying for this. And he pretty much said as much um, last Friday. And it just kind of led to a lot of frustration from advocates. I don't think it helped the mayor that he had this press conference in a subway station where lots of members of the public wound up sort of heckling him at times. It was a little bit of a chaotic press conference. Um, you know, it didn't, I don't think it was the big rollout that he or Corey Johnson were maybe imagining last June. So we have a few more minutes here with Jill Jorgensen of the Daily News. A couple other things um, I want to ask you about. I'm not sure what else Jared wants to ask you about, but um, <laughs> one is um, anything else you are expecting or looking for in the state of the city? Obviously, um, you know, the mayor is going to talk about these two things that he's rolled out this week. He's obviously going to talk up, you know, some of the accomplishments, crime down, uh, you know, street safety up, you know, some of the end of year numbers of last year and where the city's at. Obviously, there's caveats to some of those things, but, you know, he'll talk about the, the good trend lines in certain ways, you know, graduation rates up and all that stuff. But in terms of forward looking things or, or anything else, are there other things that you're you're expecting or looking for tomorrow? Um, you know, no, I, I think well, it'll be interesting to see how much he goes back to his fairness agenda. The mayor has said he wants to make the New York City the safest and fairest big city uh, in America. That can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and I'm interested to continue to hear what his concrete ideas of fairness are, um, which is kind of a nebulous 
um, concept. Uh, you know, I think today he said that that's what he'd be focusing on in, in the remarks, uh, fairness and income inequality and essentially the same themes that we've heard from the mayor right. since he was sworn in in 2014. Um, I, in the past, these speeches have not broken tons of news, um, though they tend to be quite lengthy. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think we can probably expect to see a little bit more of the same and, and probably, you know, a smattering of new programs that we haven't heard about yet. Uh, but I, it's been kept a little closer to the vest this time around, and at least for me, um, than it has in the past. Right. One of the interesting things I'm looking for is, you know, he, he seemed to indicate, um, you know, that sort of some basic quality of life things are on his agenda, maybe. You know, he talked about maybe having some new programs around noise, you know, complaints in the city and fighting, you know, noise pollution and, you know, some of those sort of nuts and bolts things that aren't these bigger sweeping policies. And even if those bigger sweeping policies affect people's daily lives, you know, maybe some of the sort of quality of life, local basics of city life. I'm, I'm kind of curious if maybe there'll be a section of the of the of the speech on on some of that and maybe those are some of the other new programs now that he's had his other more nationally focused sort of big announcements right well and that reminds me of something he said a lot when he was running again in 2017 which is that it's hard to live here which doesn't really sound like the most uplifting campaign slogan but i think it does sort of get at something that new yorkers feel which is like you love it here but it can be hard it's expensive it's you know, people work too much. They don't make enough. They're rent crowded. Too high, there right? Are you know, annoying I mean, radio shows. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> so I'm curious. You know, we have stepping away from the speech and and some of the policy issues. In the past few weeks, we've learned of some departures from the administration: the taxi commissioner, the buildings commissioner. In weeks before that, obviously, Deputy Mayor Alicia Glenn, the very kind of um, ham-handed disp- dispatching eventually of the O. AM Commissioner Joe Esposito. Uh, those kind of departures aren't unusual at this stage of an administration, I, I guess. But I wonder, what's your sense? Does that give the mayor a chance to change tack on any major policy issues? Do we expect that that will have any kind of impact on the kind of administration we see for these next three years? You know, the fact that there will be some changes in those fairly significant positions? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I don't think that we'll see that anywhere as much as we saw it as, like, you know, in terms of the police commissioner, right? You've seen the mayor's former police commissioner, Bill Bratton, in recent weeks say he's opposed to a bunch of things that the mayor's doing <laughs> now, closing Rikers Island, uh, supporting the legalization of marijuana. I don't think that you'll see any kind of made shift as major as that at these, um, you know, at these organ uh, at these agencies, just because they're not necessarily as high profile. And maybe the exception to that is the Taxi and Limousine Commission, uh, just because of the sort of really ongoing issue of um, the plummeting of uh, taxi medallion value and what that's meant to some of the um, owner operators. Sort of the not, you know not talking about the big taxi kingpins, but some of the smaller outfits of people who bought, mortgaged their own home and to buy a taxi and drive it. And, you know, that while there's been progress on that front and there's been changes to public policy, the Uber and Lyft caps being the the main one, there's still a far way to go. And, um, you know, the taxi and limousine commissioner uh, was under a lot of scrutiny and pressure and uh, was not necessarily the favorite of some other elected officials or taxi advocates. Um, So you could see some changes in policy there. Yesterday, the mayor said, you know, this wasn't over any specific disagreements, although they they did disagree on a a, uh, congestion surcharge. Um, 
you know, but that it was a tough and grueling job and she was just ready to go. Um, but I do think that might be one area where, you know, the mayor does have opportunity to put somebody in more specifically geared at the problems that the industry is facing right now or, or the direction that he wants it to go. And we'll get you out of here on this last question, uh, Jill. Um, you know, you wrote something from Puerto Rico, which, again, was before this sort of flurry of announcements from the mayor and him, you know, maybe coming into this new year with a little bit of a perhaps a resolution to become more relevant again. And maybe your piece from Puerto Rico that he was sort of on the sidelines of a lot of conversation. And the obviously there was the big vanishing mayor piece in The Times. Maybe those things also got to him a bit and Corey Johnson's profile skyrocketing. Um, but um he obviously has this very new dynamic in Albany that he's also dealing with like the rest of us in New York, but he's, he's the mayor. Do you have any thoughts on sort of, you know, how that might go for him or what to watch for there, how you're thinking about that? Um, you know, session obviously kicked off in Albany today and, and action's really going to get going there next week. Um, what are you looking for in terms of the mayor and, and the Albany scene? That's a good question. Um, I think the mayor benefits from a, you know, more progressive Democratic Senate. There's no doubt about that, whether he's at the high end of his influence or not. Um, I, uh, you know, it kind of remains to be seen that he's not always had a ton of political capital up there um, and due to some prior missteps um, and his sort of failed efforts in the past to flip the state Senate. But, you know, Time has caught up, and he's got a Democratic state Senate now. Whether those senators want to do the same things as he does is another question. I don't really expect that we're going to see them, you know, rallying behind the millionaire's tax to fund the subway, right, or any of these other things that he's really struggled with in the past. It seems like his relationship with the governor is on slightly better footing, um, but... Right. That's always open to change at pretty much any moment. Um, and that MTA and I funding. Battles, yeah. I think one of the big battles will be the MTA funding, because I, I don't think either side wants to give, um, you know, which might remind us of a, another funding battle going on right now um, in the nation's capital. But uh, I, I'm curious to see what will happen there. And I'm curious to see how he manages to work with the new the new members and whether... You know, he didn't endorse all of them, right? He didn't really get involved a lot in the in the election, and and um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how he tries to cozy up to some of those people now. Well, it's State of the City Eve, so you probably have <laughs> lots of preparations, you know, traditional dishes and decorations to get up. So we're going to let you go. But thank you very much, Jill Jorgensen, the Daily News City Hall Bureau Chief. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jill. You're listening to Max and Murphy on WBI Radio 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette with Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. We just heard from Jill Jorgensen of the New York Daily News, one of the best City Hall reporters out there. Um, And you should read everything Jill writes for the Daily News, both in the paper and online, and subscribe to the news. um, Because as we've all seen, the local media landscape could use more subscribers and more readers. Uh, Lots of great insights on Mayor de Blasio there from Jill on the eve of his State of the City speech. Uh, Any other thoughts on the mayor, what Jill had to say, other things, uh, Jarrett? Well, it just, you know, the the State of the City speech is obviously one of those political set pieces. It's where the mayor uh, tries to set the tone, set an agenda. We've seen in the past few days, as we talked about there, the mayor rolling out some, you know, major policy proposals um, for this year. We did not see those in the previous two years. There was actually kind of a, a feeling of 
of, um, I guess, a little letdown about the past couple states of the city and what the mayor proposed, even though there were worthy ideas in there that just weren't very big. But I think the reminder is how much of the mayor's year might be dominated by stuff totally out of his control and, and maybe not even on the radar screen. Out of his control, the first thing that comes to mind is NYCHA. I mean, this is the biggest thing hanging over the city now. Um, a lot of power, obviously, in the hands of a federal judge, some power in the hands of the uh, federal secretary of housing, the question of who will be controlling NYCHA and under what kind of provisions and parameters is a massive question. And then there's always the possibility, obviously, of other um, variables and events. I mean, I'm seeing online that I haven't seen earlier in the day, there's uh, stories popping about an arrest caught on video with suspects being beaten by batons. This the Daniel Pantaleo decision coming down in the coming months from the police disciplinary courtroom, uh, those things could really change the narrative. So what we're looking at tomorrow is important, but obviously we could be talking about something very different in a few weeks' time. It will be one thing I am watching and listening for when DeLazio delivers his day of the city is if he talks about NYCHA and how. You know, he did, uh, towards the end of last year, roll out this NYCHA 2.0 plan, which is basically to really accelerate infill development to raise money to help with NYCHA repairs. Does he want to talk about that more? You know, the NYCHA front has been a little bit quiet lately. You know, we had the holidays, et cetera, but it's been a little quietly. It's certainly going to pick back up, as you said, but it'll be interesting to see if he even goes there during his state of the city. You bring up a good point about the police accountability conversation. The NYPD commissioner impaneled a, a committee to look at their practices on that. Those recommendations are due in a couple weeks. So that conversation is certainly going to be popping back up. So there's a lot of things, of course, that the mayor can control. He can shape the narrative in certain ways. There are other things that are a little bit less in his control. Certainly some of that also emanates from Albany, as we were just talking about with Jill Jorgensen. Um, So it would be very interesting. I think we're going to see a bunch of other new things from the mayor during this speech. As I was saying, some of them might be a little bit smaller quality of life type stuff, which has big impact, but I just mean sort of not the bigger sweeping proposals about, you know, healthcare and, and sort of big issues like that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what else he has in mind here and how he talks about, you know, the future of the city. And it's also going to be interesting to hear how he frames, if at all, the MTA conversation in the state of the city. He's done everything he possibly can to point the finger at Governor Cuomo as controlling the MTA, as it being a state authority. But this is a mayor who also has several appointees to the MTA board, hasn't taken as much responsibility as even he should for the state of the city's transit system. So will he talk about you know that? That'll be interesting as well. And playing in the background or underneath that storyline is the emerging storyline of the public advocate special election, which will occur on February 26th, which is a Tuesday. Market calendar is a special election, not a uh, typical election day, obviously. But just because of the role the public advocate plays, one of the things people are being asked about is what will the role of, of their public advocacy be vis-a-vis the mayor? And do they critique him? How much will they watchdog? How much will they partner? 